I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... I am praying for the day where we don't have to have a a separate budget allocation for multicultural marketing. Shouldn't we just market to everyone? And of course, based on those segments, use the tactics that work. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. Washington. In today's conversation, we spend some time with Corey Briscoe. He's the managing partner and chief operating officer of ABCD and Co. Yep, four letters. We'll tell you what exactly that means. But his firm does marketing and promotion and conferences for all sorts of clients, both not-for-profit and corporate. A couple of thoughts you might find fascinating. Guess how many bridges there are in Maryland? Okay, he'll tell you. And the important part of that number is that that's the bipartisan infrastructure spending that's going to make a difference on the bridges in Maryland, not just Maryland, D.C., Virginia, everywhere. Bipartisan infrastructure is a big, big deal. Next, we talk about chief diversity officer. Sure, it's a title in many, many corporations, but why? Why is it so special that diversity be a focus of a C-suite? Someday, as he and I talk about, there may be no need for that. And that's an important point that Corey and I discuss the future of in our conversation here on What's Working in Washington. Here's our conversation. Let's get right into it, Corey. First of all, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Thanks Let's for get, having me. Get right into one of the great corporate names of all time, the first four <laughs> letters of the alphabet. How did that happen? Well, you know, it's a, it's a funny story, but a simple story. Four of us went to Howard University, uh, graduated together, Amber Dozier, Brittany Calhoun, uh, Corey Briscoe, myself, and Darisha Moore. And we said, you know what? Let's start a business. Let's do this together. Later found out, you'd think we'd be smart enough. We graduated Howard, and you'd think we'd say, oh, ABCD. Um, well, uh, we were with um, a senior citizen who we were helping. She's like, I can't remember your names. Let's do this. Call you ABCD, and hence the name was born. You know, it's always a third party that makes you realize something that is obvious. You know, uh, uh, we right. won't even take the credit, but we will, uh, we've will. we coined it, and we're using it. It, it. it certainly works, and it is memorable. Um, so the firm was formed when? So we were formed in, uh, well, so let's say this, we were in 2011 is when we graduated Howard University. 2014, we started the firm officially in January. Got it. And just as an aside, I mean, uh, our new vice president, I say new, what's it been, a year and a half? She must have, uh, she, she, she must have given all Howard grads a little boost, like, holy moly, the brand is now global. You know, we were, we were, we've been riding high for some time. You know, when you get a vice president of the United States, it's always a nice feather in the cap. It's a nice <laughs> feather in the cap. I wonder, do you know offhand if, it, if applications are up or uh, donations? Actually, uh, you know, it's funny you say that, Mark. Um, our application count for the undergraduate admission is at an all-time high. We've accepted more students than we ever had in the history of the university. Uh, you, I, I say this as a former trustee on the board of Howard um, and, of course, as an uh, alum. <clears throat> We're super excited. We're building more buildings than we ever had in dormitories. A huge, huge, almost billion-dollar investment this wow. year in facilities. That's a branding moment. Yeah. For all the right reasons. Congratulations. Yeah. I didn't know you were a trustee, but now I do, and now everybody does is listening to the show. Because what's working in Washington, we try and focus on the kinds of entities like yours that stem from here but make a difference here and far beyond. So let's go to your firm. What's a typical customer relationship that you guys provide? Sure. So ABCD and Company, I tell people all the time, um, we are a, a marketing and events 
full-scale agency. So we do everything from marketing and branding to full-scale conferences and events all across the country. Um, what I tell people our specialty is is we pick clients that are aligned with our uh, – that have a strong mission, that they want to help out the community, that they want to do something impactful. So we'll take corporate clients. When we're working, we're, also, we're mainly in their community development areas, their CSR areas. We'll d- take big banks. But we want to focus on something that helps people at the end of the day. Um, and, and that's how we look at the work that we do. Um, we've got what we call the core four. So we've got marketing and advertising events. We've got digital solutions. And we've got creative services. Those are the four buckets of work that we do. Um, and we tell people all the time, we are helping uh, businesses, corporations, associations connect with the their audiences better, engage them in a different way. Uh, and, and when you think of COVID and how things have shifted, um, we've got to be more intentional about how we engage people. People aren't doing the as many happy hours and as many, you know, receptions and th- things like that. So being strategic in how you engage people, every opportunity matters. We're talking with Corey Briscoe. He's the managing partner and chief operating officer of ABCD here in Rockville, Maryland. And to your point, COVID has changed so much. And you used, of course, the three-letter acronyms, uh, of which there are so many in Washington, D.C., CSR, Walk me through CSR, ESG, social impact. How are you seeing corporations trying to get better at those arenas? And what does each one mean differently to you? Well, it's a it's a great question, Mark. And I think the reality is right now um, there, you know, our country is in this precarious position. You know, when you think of the events of George Floyd and all these things happen, corporations tried to figure out how do they get into the conversation of racial reckoning. And, and then you had the pandemic, which literally, you know, devoured 40% of all African-American businesses. So you think wow. of, of those, those startling re- revelations and how biz, you know, corporations were saying, okay, what's our, what's our role to play here? And th- we've always had economic challenges and access to capital issues. So you have black small businesses um, that when you think of it, 96% of all black-owned businesses is a solopreneur. That means it's just them, right? Yeah. So the 4%, you know, if you got over... Two full-time employees, well, you're in the 4% of all black-owned businesses, right? And so you see these corporations saying, well, what's our voice? What are we supposed to be doing? Are we throwing grants? Are we giving loans? Um, And that's what I'm seeing right now in this space. We've got all these commitments. The Washington Post did this article where they said it was $50 billion in commitments that have been made. Um, Now we're trying to see how are people actually actualizing those commitments. Right. Well, there's always, to your point— there's always a big gap between the message and the actual uh, event, right? That's so right. You're, That's right. you're seeing commitments, I'm sure. You, you're, you're in the middle of these commitments and then seeing how they play out. So CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, ESG, that's Environmental, Society, Social, Social and Governance, as I recall. That's correct. And, and uh, then Social Impact. It, it, my bias, so sure. walk me off the ledge on this, uh, Corey, is that sometimes companies talk and don't act that way. Are you seeing some gap between commitments and language and then actual performance? The challenge is we are. There are some corporations and who are putting their money where their mouth is and yeah. they are actually committing to it. Um, we've seen this in great work. Some of the partnerships that I have seen, um, one of my clients, the Association for Enterprise Opportunity, we're working with you know, PayPal, who is deploying incredible capital in the form of grants and resources, um, and they're doing the work. But there are other corporations who naturally, you know, 
they they say they're doing it and they say it's going to take 20 years and 10 years and five years. Um, and, but there's no plan to actually see it through. Yeah. And I think that's a part of what my firm is doing is having the conversation to talk about like what can be done? What should you be doing? How should you be acting? And also for the ones that are doing it, how do you communicate so that the right audience is getting it? Well, I won't ask you to name the bad actors because that would be that'd be unfair. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. But, you, <laughs> but you mentioned PayPal and I'm sure there's yeah. some others. But what's what's the typical title or role of the people at a company when you approach them or when you build a relationship that's productive? For me, you know, um, our firm has done really well with um well, either chief marketing officers right. naturally because we're in marketing and events, um, you know, and then specifically in the area, you know, people who oversee the CSR. So chief corporate responsibility officers or chief development officers, depending on the industry. Um, and then on the association level, um, the nonprofits, you know, naturally the executive director and, and, and CEOs who um, who are you know, driving the mission of the firms. That's typically where we see um, the best buy-in because the reality is, you know, you get these people who have passion, but if it's not buy-in at the top, if it's not buy-in that can make the decision and move it, you know, we're not seeing much action around it. And that's the part of the problem. Yeah. Do you sometimes interact with the chief human capital? I guess I, I forget the, the titles now for what used yeah, to be chief HR. Human resource officer. And, yeah. Thank you. And, and uh, D- chief diversity officer. Are they part of your conversation? Do they often have a separate agenda that doesn't meld with your bro- with your broader perspective, or how does that go? You know, there's this this huge, huge right now surge of the chief diversity officer, and I think the story is still out on how we will see that activated inside corporations. You know, they we we've hired a ton of them. Some of them have autonomy. Some of them don't. Um, I have found that the ones that report directly to the CEO are the ones that are empowered to make the move. When they're hidden inside of human resources and, you know, uh, employee resource groups and stuff like that, they often don't have as much autonomy. And so they're not as helpful. Yeah. I mean, I I made it. It wasn't a joke, an observation, although it sounds like I'm trying to make a joke that I hope someday the chief diversity officer becomes as odd a title as chief electricity officer, (laughs) i.e. it's just that 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 goal should be built into every C-suite member and every every product manager, et cetera. But right now it's focused in that title, maybe for the right reasons, sometimes for the wrong. I love that. And I think it's something that I say right now, you know, even as a firm, we have a, a specialty when you talk about um, um, a niche focus inside of marketing, multicultural marketing. I am praying for the day where we don't have to have a a separate budget allocation for multicultural marketing. Right. Shouldn't we just market to everyone? And of course, based on those segments, use the tactics that work, right? So I, I fully support that, Mark. Customers are customers, Customers right? are customers. So what are you seeing as marketing folks in the division of budgets between traditional media back in the day mm-hmm. when Ogilvy and Mather would tell you to run yep. the TV ad, mm-hmm. and now the plethora of social platforms Sometimes with focus, sometimes without mm-hmm. customer subsets that are difficult to pin down and get get a message to. How that must be insanely tough for any marketer or consultant to manage those budgets and, and those outcomes. You know, it's it's an argument that I have with my chief marketing officer, Dresha Moore, every day because you know we are our clients are pivoting. Digital is everything, right? Digital is everything. You've got to, and the the challenge is. The regulations around digital is changing substantially, right? With privacy laws and and things that are affecting how we get the data, how we do, you know, how we get the data from people and what they're accessing, it's it's becoming more and more difficult. 
And so we're seeing increased budgets for these digital campaigns, and we're having to have stronger infrastructures that are connected. So, you know, it's it's not enough to say, you know, you've got a, a email campaign and you're, you've got this on Facebook. An integrated approach is everything. Um, one of the things in the pandemic we shifted to um, and invested heavily was our digital infrastructure and building um, teams of engineers and, and data scientists and people who can do this work. Um, but it's hard, right? Because naturally, when you're in a corporation, you want to see, well, how does this drive to the bottom line? Right. What is this doing, right? And my chief marketing officer was, will say all the time, she'll say, um, you know, it, we, we can prove this. It takes time, right? We can prove this, but it takes time. And yeah. so I, I, I consistently tell people it is not an overnight thing. It's a, a tactic that's got to be used. Um, it's important. It's critical. But it's, you know, it's, it's not a, a, an overnight thing. Yeah. Well, the old joke from John Wanamaker, the retailer from Philadelphia, half the money I spent in advertising is wasted. I just can't tell which half. We all heard, <laughs> then heard that the Internet was going to fix that, and we'd know exactly where it goes. I think the problem is still there. Yep. Whether it's recency or the message slowly seeping into the consumer or the corporation's behavior, whether the transaction is ta- is taggable back to that specific event, mm-hmm. I think it still is confusing. But here's my question, Corey sure. Briscoe, managing partner and uh, chief operating officer of ABCD. What's your sense of um, the challenges in marketing having an element of age in them? And I don't mean ageism per se, Mm -hmm. but I'm clearly older than you. And I find sometimes that the marketing executives who have risen up the ladder are just not that adept in some of the velocity of change that's going on around them. Are you seeing a generational change in CMOs or is this going to take Mm -hmm. a longer time? I I think that's a great question. So I tell people all the time, look, um, if you do not keep up, if you don't have um, a depth of knowledge, and the reality is, let's be clear, um, even as a COO, I have a specific lane that I have expertise in. The same is true for a chief marketing officer. But I think the issue is we're not investing into the the segments of where we don't have that depth, right? We 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 look at the the millennials, which I'm one of them, and we say, you know, hey, okay, let's let's look at them for social media, but we don't understand how that plays into our systematic approach to marketing. And I think what I am finding is we are seeing some changes to the CMO. Um, but do I think that that's where the the bang for the buck is not so much. I think there are line staff who are really changing the day-to-day strategy of these big firms. Mazel tov. Glad to hear that. Corey Briscoe, the managing partner and chief operating officer of ABCD. When we come back from our break, Corey and I are going to talk about the billions and billions and billions of dollars handed out by your federal government through PPP loans, etc., and how some of those dollars may have gone astray, but a lot of them went to places they should have gone. Every week on What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter.
We're back on What's Working in Washington. I am Mark Walsh, your host. We're really happy to have Corey Briscoe here. Corey is the Managing Partner and Chief Operating Officer of ABCD and Company and Co. So we talked about a wide variety of ways that your agency interacts with corporations and allocating, generating, allocating, helping allocate funds for small businesses that are growing. And your, by the way, just to remind our listeners, your ratio of the number of African-American-owned entities that are solo operators, 96 90, 96, that's right. 96% of all black businesses are solo solopreneurs. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. Well, I spent some time at the Small Business Administration under the Obama administration, and I forgot that the ratio was that dramatic, but we knew it was extraordinarily high. But let's talk about your firm's exposure to the PPP program. Yeah. What, what did you guys do about that? You know, uh, the the benefit of having clients who are in this space that are doing this work, um, like one of the clients I said earlier before AEO, is that we are able to help them message and make sure that uh, the policymakers who are wielding the pen are actually getting it right. And the reality is when PPP first came out, you know, it it was all wrong, right? It good intentions, but it wasn't reaching the, the populations that needed it the most, right? It was worked through trade associations and the micro-business community that said, look, we've got to allocate these dollars specifically to businesses who don't have the relationships with, with lenders. They they don't get the, the capital resources and stuff. And so we've got to shift focus to make sure that the businesses, Main Street businesses, are getting the resources and getting grant fundings that are vital to them surviving. And so the messaging, reaching re- reaching these target communities, that's what my firm does, right? We understand how to reach them. We understand that not everyone who we think, you know, it naturally we naturally think everyone has a smartphone, they're on social media, et cetera, et cetera. That's not the case. A lot right. of these small businesses are still using paper and pen for ledgers and different things like that. So right. you've got to understand, you've got to have trust in the communities and you've got to get them directly. Yeah. I saw a business card the other day with a fax number on it. I thought, oh, how quaint. Yeah. How quaint. Well, PPP had a lot of challenges. In fact, as you and I both saw, there were some publicly traded companies that got PPP loans. I'm like, wait a minute. Absolutely. They have access to public markets. How That's can this right. possibly be be fair? Did you see the operation, my, it sounds like it did, migrate from a tough start to a more efficient end? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when it first came out, right, We let's be clear, we, we'd never had anything like this. When you look at the, the SBA's budget for, for loans compared to what it is, the balance is now, it's just astronomical, yeah. right? They've never deployed anything like this, right? And so you, you've you seen the SBA evolve, and I think uh, Administrator Guzman, even now, um, her leadership in trying to shift the, the SBA um, should be noted. But the reality is, a lot of small businesses did end up getting um, the help. Not all of them, but we shifted towards the end to make to, to make that possible in some ways. Um, were there some bad agents in there and people who shouldn't have got it? Absolutely, and I uh, I'm, I'm confident. Shocked. Shocked! How could hey, that possibly happen? Welcome to America. Yeah. Uh, so you know, there, we're trying to deal with that, and I I I think that there are people who are going to be held accountable for that. Um, but the reality is that those grants, those loans, the um, they were critical, you know, yeah. even to my own businesses, right? Uh, half of our revenue was c- completely in-person events. Yeah. You imagine when COVID happened, we almost lost the dog on firm. Yeah. So being able to apply for an SBA loan, right, was was vital for us. And being able uh, – Marilyn, I – 
I shout out to to Governor Hogan, his leadership in and giving um, the the Labor Department grants so that we could advance our digital infrastructure. Those things were pivotal for us being able to survive as a small business owner. So uh, a small shout out from me. I worked with Isabella Guzman at the SBA. She was the uh, deputy chief of staff. Had a tremendous relationship with her. Very productive uh, bunch of issues she and I faced specifically for my area. Um, I was really happy to see her get the nod, and I think, to your yeah. point, she is the perfect person to challenge the old behavior and add some fresh, you know, some fresh energy for some new stuff. So let's talk about sure. bipartisan infrastructure bills and spending. Absolutely. Stunted, maybe headed for the right direction. What's your sense politically, and then how does it apply to your clients? Let me tell you, the infrastructure bill is what everyone should be paying attention to. That's the thing that people aren't talking about. That's the thing that there isn't enough conversation about. Agreed. Let's talk just in Maryland alone, right? Maryland has 273 bridges, right, in Maryland, right? What does that mean? People's like, okay, what does that mean? What does that got to do with small businesses? Well, Maryland is slated to get $4.6 billion, right, in bridge repair, right, in road repairs. Who's going to do this? Small businesses that have construction shops and stuff. So I tell people all the time, people naturally think, oh, this is federal. This is federal. All of that money, a substantial amount, is being uh, distributed to local economies. And so you really need to be in touch with your 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 local departments of transportation and all of these that the local economies really have the power to shift uh, economies, if you will. Um, I was listening to. Uh, Secretary of Transportation uh, Pete Buttigieg the other day, um, and I was listening to how he's advocating for these small towns and these places that, you know, you you naturally just think, ah, they don't have any money. Well, this will shift that, right? And it will shift it in a positive way, and it gives opportunities for businesses who've never had federal uh, contracts or local m- municipality contracts to get in the game. And so I tell people, this is where you need to go to your mayor's office. This is where you need to go to the councils, city councils, and and all of those and say, hey, what's up? Wh- where's the funding going to and how are we allocating it? So we think back to the Reagan years when David Stockman claimed something about trickle-down economics, right? And I yep. think this actually may be a good example of trickle-down, where the commitment by the federal government for bipartisan infrastructure repair and 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 and, uh, and 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 energy will trickle down to your point to maybe not Rockville, maybe not Gaithersburg or Frederick, or maybe out west, uh, Western Maryland, to our, our lovely state here, with dollars that matter. And and again, I'm on my soapbox here with with our guests, but <laughs> it's not just as you know, it's not just bridges. It's all sorts of other stuff. It's not just even roads. It's, it could right. be environmental protection stuff. It could be for rivers and streams. Everything's going to end up being affected in a positive way by the bipartisan infrastructure EV plan. EV charging stations. EV, you know, thank you. Look. As a new owner of an electric vehicle, I, I, I roundly applaud that here under the lesson. But I will suggest one last thing we should talk about on this, which is bipartisan infrastructure uh, aggressively improving our connectivity. Yep. I spent a lot of time with former Governor Terry McAuliffe from Virginia, and he had some astounding, eye-popping percentages of people in Virginia that did not have high bandwidth. That's right. It may be as, as I doubt it's as, as aggressive in Maryland. I think we've done a better job. But overall, across America, it that makes a difference in people's experience. Yeah. Broadband is an issue, and I tell people all the time, when we look, it, it's easy to believe that everyone's got access to high-speed Internet. Right. Let me tell you something. Even in, in Baltimore, in an area where you think it's an urban city and stuff like this, uh, good internet is is a challenge in some places, and our conversations, 
uh, we've got to get out of this mindset that we think it's just in Farmsville, USA. Yeah. It's it's sometimes even in heavy populated, dense urban areas. Exactly. And so um, I am most looking forward to this opportunity right now for there. There has to be broad broadband access is 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 like drinking water right now. Yeah. If you don't have it, you don't have access to economic sustainability. And that's the work that we have to do as a nation to make sure that everyone has access to broadband. It's what I call a utility that has to be given. Corey Briscoe, we're going to talk about Baltimore for just two seconds. You were born there. I was raised there. That's right. Why do we have another show, We Own This City, on HBO that's just absolutely <laughs> trashing our hometown? We had we had <sighs> Homicide, Life in the Streets. We had The Wire. And now we have We Own This City, all showing Baltimore as this hellhole. Yeah. I just, I mean, what is it about our city that gets so beat up by the media? You know, it's uh, Baltimore gets a bad rep, and I think a lot of it is, you know, People who have have been born there have left and gone. They go out and they do great things. But I, I think Baltimore needs some great leadership. We need some great leadership that is ethical, that is responsible, um, that will make needed decisions. And and, you know, there there are some systematic changes in how Maryland operates with Baltimore that needs to change. But I think um you know, there there's so much charm in Baltimore. There's so much tenacity in the city. It sucks to see these 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 shows. It's just it doesn't do anything but perpetrate a stereotype that in some cases just isn't true. Well, my dad's ad agency dreamed up Charm City. So the fact that you use Charm, once again, a call back to uh, what used to be a That's tremendous right. brand. As we wrap up our conversation with Corey Briscoe, let me ask you a quick uh, logistical question. Your firm does or does not do political campaigns? We do not do political campaigns. Thank you. Stay out of that cesspool <laughs> of, of behavior. <laughs> Secondly, right. what's your what's the firm's blend between not for profit and for profit uh, 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 revenue? Absolutely, we're like fifty fifty, straight down the middle. Because you never know where you never know who's going to shift and who's going to change. So we try to keep a good balance there. Got to stay nimble. Got to stay nimble. All right, Corey, we uh, we ask our guests uh, to wrap up. At least when we wrap up with our guests, we ask them a question, which I will now ask you: If you were in charge of the world for some reasonable period of time, not just a day. What would, the, what would be one thing that you would start happening, and what would be one thing that you would stop happening? God, what a great—what would I start, and what would I stop happening? Mm, 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 what a great question. A part of me wants to look at our, our Congress. I just think, you know, as a person who graduated with a political science degree um, and recognizing how great the United States is and can be— I, we've got to reshape who goes to our Congress and represents us. I just think it's a what a sad state of affairs. Shame on both parties, Democrat and Republic, like Republicans for how we are. Um, if I had a magic wand, I'd reshape Congress completely. And when we reshape the American Congress, I tell people all the time, America is the place. America's the place that naturally we when we do it, when we when we envision, when we when we direct policy and make changes, it affects everywhere. We are the seat of the power for for the known world. And so for me, that's the first place I'm cleaning. I love it. That's a real damn good answer, in my personal opinion. Corey Briscoe, Managing Partner and Chief Operating Officer of ABCD. Where can our listeners find out more about your firm? Hey, go to our website, www.abcdandcompany.com. you got to have that and company in there. got to have the and company. Corey, it's been a fabulous conversation. Thanks for being with us on What's Working in Washington. Marks, thanks for having me. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content... Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy? 
performed by the Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.